Welcome back, everyone. This is Kitchen Conversations for Ukraine, episode four. I had a little break with posting those episodes. There was a conversation I had with Sofia Tabatadze as my previous episode, and I think that will be now the format. So I will once post a conversation with an artist and then a guided by me episode about the culture and arts of Ukraine. I feel it's still very important to continue as uh, the war continues and there is new demands, new uh, regrets from the people. The situation uh, in Ukraine is changing, but definitely those people still need our support from all different channels, all different ways we can help. And that is what my contribution. Therefore, I will try to bring you more and more information about the culture and arts of Ukraine and how we can help research further and so on. So while preparing for this episode, I actually went to Amsterdam and to Rotterdam, so to my previous home, the Netherlands. I was there for two weeks, uh, also managed to go to a protest and meet uh, one of my previous curators of this uh, mini-series, Olga. And I also met Alex, the other uh, curator, which was very, very nice uh, to also speak to them, see how they are feeling, check on them, but also see how they are dealing with the situation and how as artists, Ukrainian artists living in the Netherlands contribute to the whole thing. And that also, again, motivated me to continue. So today I have for you three recommendations from a friend, artist and Ukrainian woman, Yulia Elias. So you might already know Yulia from some of the episodes on my podcast. You can hear her thoughts and voice already on two episodes I did. So one was a library talk I held together with some other friends in the Sandberg and Rietveld Library in Amsterdam, where as a group we introduced a book section to the Library of Eastern European Theory and Texts on art and more. And Julia was one of the people who was part of the group and there you can also hear her speak about those texts and why we selected them. So if you're looking uh, into reading more about the Eastern European theory, there under the episode, you're going to find the whole list of books we actually introduced to the physical library and you can definitely find them also online. And another moment when Yulia was part of my kitchen table was my graduation episode that was recorded live in a gallery or art space in Amsterdam, where together with Tasha Arlova and Eva Machov, uh, we met and spoke about an exhibition back then uh, held in Amsterdam titled From What Will We Reassemble Ourselves? And the exhibition was conducted in the 25th anniversary of the Srebrenica genocide which took place in and around Srebrenica in Bosnia and Herzegovina back in 1995. We know each other with Julia from a reading group she created, which I think I already mentioned quite sometimes on this podcast. It was called Second Thoughts and it was a reading group and later also became kind of a support group where people from the academy in Amsterdam where we studied uh, gathered together and shared experiences, shared works. Uh, we read also some texts about the Eastern Europeanness and how to kind of find ourselves in the Western 
Art Academy. And also Julia is very dear to my heart since she definitely was one of the people who inspired me to create also this platform and to dare to speak out in terms of my interests and in terms of what is missing in the Western academia. And I remember she was even joining one of my colloquia. So that was a kind of lecture I had to give, I think it was two or three hours, uh, a lecture that I had to give as part of my master's studies. And of course, I did it about somehow Eastern Europe, somehow the politics, um, the sociopolitical situation. But out of the fear that no one will really understand what I'm talking about, I thought to have her uh, next to me just as a person uh, that I can look at and know that someone at the table actually understands and that I don't have to explain myself. So I remember this moment as something very special to me and also a moment that allowed me to kind of go through yeah, this colloquia and in general my studies uh, that were not the easiest, let's say, but I think this platform, this beautiful podcast came out of it, which is definitely a very positive thing. So Julia Elias is an artist and writer currently based in Utrecht in the Netherlands, but originally from Dnipro. So that's in the center of Ukraine along the Dnieper River. And as I said, I met her at the Rietveld Academy where she did uh, fine arts uh, department and later she moved to Utrecht where she's currently finishing the Masters of Fine Arts at the HKU, that's the Utrecht School of Arts. So I would say Julia's practice is very theory and text-based, but she's also a drawing artist and a great painter. And I think in the recent years, or probably since she's in the Netherlands, she's very much busy in addressing Russian imperialism within the Western institutions, but mainly art institutions. So she's actively writing to museums and galleries and so on, uh, and addressing the way they describe Eastern European or Soviet art, where Soviet is interchangeably used with Russian and so on which I will, of course, speak more about. And her references today, her suggestions are definitely also very much connected to her practice. Since the beginning of the war, Julia's artistic practice, but also her studies kind of went on hold or it turned into a full-on activist mode since, yeah, she felt like she needs to do something like all of us. And she created a, a beautiful organization foundation project together with other volunteers in Utrecht uh, which is called Help Ukraine Utrecht and it consists of people uh, as told by Yulia mostly people who recently came from Ukraine that help each other they collect clothes but also organize uh, psychological help in helping people with trauma and all the things that happened in the recent months as part of her master's graduation program, Yulia is organizing a panel discussion titled The Essential Labor for Survival, and it will take place on the 18th of June in Bac. That's a place, a cultural space for artistic and critical exchange in Utrecht. And for those living around in the Netherlands, I think it's a great place to come join in general, get to know. Uh, I know that Julia's study group will show their graduation works there and the panel discussion is part of the program, 
where she invited various artists and people who work in cultural art institutions uh, to discuss uh, the topic of Russian imperialism, what I was speaking before about. So here is the text which I got from her as the invitation for the panel discussion, which I think very well sums up what is the situation and why is it so urgently to discuss those issues. The Essential Labour for Survival invites representatives from Dutch art institutions and Netherlands-based cultural workers to engage in a discussion about how identities coming from Ukraine are presented, represented and archived. This discussion looks more broadly at how Dutch institutions are complicit in perpetuating certain cultural myths or ideologies and considers whose artistic voices have been selected or prioritized in the past decades. This panel critically engages existing narratives about Eastern Europe in the art institutions of Northern Europe and asks how these narratives might be complicit in the circumstances that led to this moment. Along with discussing strategic steps for cultural institutions to apprehend the coloniality of the war happening in Ukraine, there is also space given to think about the role of radical imagination in times of life-threatening emergency. Julia's first recommendation is the work of Oksana Zabushko. Oksana is a Ukrainian novelist, poet and essayist born in 1960 in Lutsk, that is a place in the western Ukraine. And there she lived for some time, but later with her parents she was forced to move to Kiev because her father was a yeah, famous, uh, at that time, philosopher who didn't comply with the Soviet regime. Uh, they were repressed as a family and had to flee. Uh, later on in her life, Oksana also lived in the US where she was teaching. And today she's definitely very much involved with what is happening in Ukraine and what causes the Russian imperialism. All of her writings, both the books and the articles she writes, are circulating around the topics of national identity, uh, Soviet and later Russian imperialism, with a special focus on gender. One of her famous works is titled Fieldwork in Ukrainian Sex, that was written in 1996, and that is probably her most famous and one of the first texts, uh, books. And this was also the recommendation of Yulia in terms of the works that should be read by me. I didn't manage yet. It is quite hard to get it here in Berlin in English. Also because of the war, everything is more difficult to get from Ukraine and also all the costs of paper if it comes from a publishing from the US or something is more expensive and takes more time to reach here to Europe but yeah check it out and I also found a nice review or like nice uh, interesting or insightful review and uh, that I wanted to read out for you from a person called Brianna Berbenuk and the review was published on an online platform called Numero Zinc. Since it was first published in 1996, fieldwork in Ukrainian sex has become one of the most controversial and best-selling novels in Ukraine in the last 20 years. Oksana Zabushko is a poetic genius, and she is foremost a poet. And fieldwork reads as if it were one long poem. The novel is not divided into conventional chapters. 
Instead, serpentine, run-on sentences fluidly slide into side thoughts contained in brackets and small passages of verse, so the reader enters and re-enters the book in an endless series of apparently chaotic yet somehow seamless stream of consciousness thoughts. On the surface, the plot is very simple. The narrator tells the story of her recently ended relationship with a Ukrainian artist. However, the text becomes more complex, swells and spreads like a bruise, and the poet delves into the abuse she suffered, as well as the love she felt during the relationship. She struggles to come to terms with her complex grief, and as she does, so she begins to unravel also the intricacies of her Ukrainian identity. The history of the affair is mapped out in the context of the history of Ukraine, and the cartography of cultural influence and identity is perhaps more clearly revealed than the successes and failings of the relationship itself. Another thing which is fascinating about Oksana Zabushko is the way she speaks, the way she pronounces words, the tempo in which she speaks. For me, it's so fascinating to see her talk. I can imagine she's also a great uh, teacher. And on YouTube, there is quite some interviews with her, so definitely check it out. Most recently, she was actually invited to address the European Parliament at the... 8th of March Women's Day celebration where she held a touching speech about the women of Ukraine who are currently fighting for the freedom of their country. I've spoken for women's rights to be free from discrimination and gender inequality for their right to live in accordance with their own wishes and preferences. This, however, is the first time that I have to stand up for a woman's right to life itself. Ukrainians are a strong nation. This appears to have surprised many in the West, yet were it not so, we would not have survived Stalin's genocide, the horrific man-made famine of 1933 notably still unrecognized by most of the countries represented here. And we are a nation of strong women, too. Along with the rest of the world, I cannot but admire with tears in my eyes my fellow countrywomen now fighting right alongside our men. They've joined the army and the civil territorial defense forces, they manage the distribution of supplies across our besieged cities, some of which, like Mariupol, stand on the verge of a humanitarian catastrophe now. They give birth in bomb shelters, supported and supervised by doctors online. Ukrainian doctors, meanwhile, have created Facebook pages offering instructions on how women over 37 weeks pregnant might safely deliver children in bomb shelters. An image that strikes me as almost biblical, as sounds of Mary's hide with their newborns, evading King Herod in basements, subway stations, and other stables. Yes, we are strong and grateful for your support and your admiration. 
The problem is Putin's bombs will not be stopped by the strength of our spirit. Recommendation number two is a book titled In Isolation, Dispatches from Occupied Donbass by writer Stanisław Asayev. And before I tell you a little more about the book, I think it's also important to mention who the writer is and a little about his life, which of course is very much connected to what he's writing about. So Stanisław Asayev uh, is a Donetsk-born Ukrainian writer and journalist. He was born in 1989, so he's actually very young. He's 32 at the moment. He is the author of a collection of poetry, a play and a novel. And under the pen name Stanislav Vasin, he published short reports in Ukrainian press about the situation on the ground following the outbreak of Russian-sponsored military aggression in Donbass back in 2013 and 14, when actually the war which we are watching right now started. For showing his objection towards what Russia is doing in Donbass and Donetsk, He got arrested and unlawfully imprisoned and according to various reports made and also him speaking openly about it once he was uh, released, he underwent a lot of mistreatments and torture and he got accused of extremism, extremist behavior, extremist opinion and spying. So from what I could find, the book was published this year. And in this book, in isolation, he concentrates on two uh, cities in eastern Ukraine, Makivka and Donetsk, and how they were changing and how the propaganda of the Russians worked in this region and how the people of those regions actually believed into the propaganda and into this kind of imperial strategies of Russia and Putin. And the book ends with his arrest and how actually he got tortured. And in the book, again, he describes how a modern day concentration camp works in the outskirts of Donetsk, how he was being treated there and how this whole system is approved and supported by Moscow. So I think a very important text to read and to learn from, especially hearing and seeing what is happening in the eastern part of Ukraine as we speak. And last but not least, I have a movie recommendation for you from Yulia. And the title of the movie is Enthusiasm, the Symphony of Donbass. So again, we are here in the eastern part of Ukraine, but uh, going back to 1931. That was a sound film directed by Soviet filmmaker Diga Vertov. The film was considered to be avant-garde for the time. Uh, it was the first uh, sound movie of this director where he played played a lot with the sounds of the factory and the industrial uh, machinery. There was not so much uh, spoken words, not so much human sounds, but of the machines. And he created uh, the whole kind of symphony of those times, of the times of the working class, of the movement of the workers towards socialism, as is actually described in the movie itself. So Vertov created the film together with his wife, Elizabeth. Veta Svilova, who was part of many of his previous works as well. And 
Diga Vertov was never really happy with the final movie. It seemed also too avant-garde, too contemporary for the time. Uh, the people didn't really appreciate it and he himself wasn't happy with the final sound effects. Yet when I watched it, I was very much fascinated by, yeah, by the use of music, sounds, and the kind of sound design, it's, it was really fascinating in combination with the images shown. So it starts with images from church, people, mostly women, praying, going to church, doing some kind of religious rituals. And on the other hand, we have people who drink mostly then again men who yeah had too much uh, drinks and then they are sleeping around or they are just like taking a lot of shots. And those two factors, religion, church and alcoholism, are presented as the two distractions from the socialist dream or towards the idea of the socialist dream, where the worker is fully the devoted to labor and later we have a lot of these uh, scenes where workers march together to the sound of machines and there is this kind of constant movement constant flow of workers of labor towards achieving the socialist beauty of the utopic dream And of course, from the perspective of today, we can say this film was a Soviet propaganda film showing or propagating the way workers should behave and how important they are for building the socialist state. And interestingly enough, and here we are kind of taking a circle back to the work of Yulia, Yulia did a work with this film or in relation to how the film was presented in Stedelijk Museum, uh, that is uh, one of the biggest, I think, contemporary uh, museums in the Netherlands, located in Amsterdam in Museumplein. I'm sure a lot of you know what I'm talking about. If not, please visit. In general, it's a good museum, but in this case, which I'm going to tell you about <laughs> in a few seconds, uh, they didn't really do their research, I would say. So the Sedlik Museum organized an exhibition on the history of Russian film art. That was the subtitle of the exhibition and the main title was, was Constructing the New Man. And as a poster of this exhibition, they used the movie which we were just talking about, Enthusiasm, the Symphony of Donbass. And in the description of the movie then later in the exhibition, they described the director as a Russian director and the movie as a Russian film. Of course, we know this was Soviet times. The director 
was Soviet and the film was Soviet. Now we would say it was Ukrainian because it took place in Donbass. And even the title of the movie, which was in the poster of the exhibition, was written in Ukrainian and not in Russian. So Yulia, when seeing the poster of the exhibition and I guess later seeing the exhibition itself, addressed uh, the problem of yeah Russian uh, imperialism and the way Russian and Soviet is uh, used kind of interchangeably, although it's very different, especially in the current situation, I guess uh, the, the exhibition happened a few years ago, but already during the war in Donbass. And I think she wrote uh, to the institution, not sure if uh, she received uh, any feedback. Now, when you check like the archive of the exhibition, the poster is actually still the same. So the poster of the exhibition is the poster of the movie, which I was telling you about with the Ukrainian title on it which is yeah very very uh, misinformed especially for curators of an exhibition on this topic uh, but in response uh, Yulia actually made her own work where she used fragments of the film and then within this work she commented on the aspects of how uh, yeah Ukraine and other uh, post-soviet countries are kind of used interchangeably with Russia and Russian history and kind of all these terms are a bit unclear for the Western audience and her work commented on that and wanted to add this kind of historical clarification to the Western audience. Thank you so much for joining me today and next time I will provide you with more sources to Ukrainian culture and art.